bienvenue and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week we'll be discussing Jerome Robbins' Broadway. The numbers you are about to hear are from musical shows produced between 1944 and 1964, created by a variety of writers and composers, and all staged by one man. Welcome to Jerome Robbins' Broadway! But first, how are we doing? I hope this episode of The Musical Man finds you well. I feel like I'm dealing with some sort of vocal scratchiness. I don't know if I've been stretched thin recently. I have tried every warm-up in the book. Okay, I'm exaggerating. Not every warm-up in the book. But if I sound a little bit world-weary this time around, I do apologize in advance. Hey, Here's where I want to begin. You just heard Jason Alexander in that opening clip of ours. The way he pronounces Broadway, you know, you and I, we say Broadway. He says Broadway. And I just find that to be ceaselessly amusing. The amount of amusement I get out of that is infinite Broadway. Jerome Robbins, Broadway. All right, Jason, fine. If that's how you want to say it, that's how you want to say it. Fine. <laughs> hey, here's a bit of bad news that I read about recently on Playbill.com. Did you know this? Did you know that Schmigadoon has been canceled by Apple? That would be bad enough, right? The show is great. We would love a third season. Well, here's the thing. There already is a third season written down. They have the scripts as well as 25 original songs. They wrote 25 songs. They must have they must have assumed they were going to get a third season. Why would they have put in that much work? Oh my god, are you kidding me? Someone needs to pick up this show immediately. I'm not normally one to champion a show, so I, I don't try to, you know, make a big fuss about, oh, another platform needs to pick up this show. Oh, justice for insert show title here. But in this instance, I do find myself wanting to step up to the plate. Here's another. Here's a, this is much more important than Schmigadoon. Forget about Schmigadoon. 
Benny, our wonderful, beautiful Benny, has, oh, he has reached a milestone. He is 30 years old as of January 14th. We love Benny so much. Oh, Benny, you're right there on the other end of the computer, all the way out there in Chicago. I love you very much, Benny. I give you a kiss. Mwah, mwah. I give you a kiss. It's just Benny and me today. No, Patty. Patty is currently dealing with a... And I, I want to get this right. I'm looking at my phone. A, a quote, a possum invasion at her home. Quote, unquote, possum invasion. We have received no additional details, presumably because they're in the thick of it, the muck of it, the possums. My God, remember when Benny, Benny, do you remember when you and your now wife had to deal with a bat? in your house, so you had a bat. Patty and her partner are dealing with a possum. I'm so scared for the baby. No, possums. It could be possums, I don't know. Is is the rule of three coming for Chris and I? Because if it is, I would say no. I prefer, I would prefer it if it didn't. Are we in danger? No animal invasions, please. Okay, it's now time to relay the show facts regarding our latest subject, Jerome Robbins Broadway. Are you ready for the show facts? Let's do it. Show me the show facts, you say. <laughs> you almost forgot to say it. Yes. Okay, I, I will do this for you. I will do it. Jerome Robbins Broadway is the 1989 winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on February 26th, 1989 at the Imperial Theater and ran for 633 performances. The book is provided to us by, oh, a bumper crop of famous musical theater writers. We have James M. Barry, Betty Comden, Larry Gelbert, Adolph Green, Oscar Hammerstein II, Arthur Laurence, Stephen Longstreet, Bert Shevlov, and Joseph Stein. We have a narrative continuity credit that goes to Jason Alexander. I will explain that in, in due time. We have music and lyrics from the following famous musical theater composers and lyricists. We have Irving Berlin, Leonard Bernstein, Jerry Bach, Sammy Kahn, Moose Charlap, Betty Comden, Morton Gould, Adolph Green, Oscar Hammerstein II, Sheldon Harnick, Carolyn Lee, Hugh Martin, Richard Rogers, Stephen Sondheim, and Julie Stein. The directors of this production, Jerome Robbins and Grover Dale, musical director Paul Gemignani, hello again, Paul, orchestrations Sid Ramin and William D. Brone, music continuity Scott Frankel, choreographer Jerome Robbins and Peter Gennaro. Gennaro? Let's go with Gennaro. Production scenic design, Robin Wagner. Scenic design credits. Okay, we're pulling from all of these famous scenic designs by Boris Aronson, Joe Milsner. Hello again, Joe. Oh, Olivier. Oliver? No, yes, Oliver Smith. Not Olivier Smith. I apologize for any of these mispronunciations. Robin Wagner and Tony Walton rounds that group out. Lighting design, Jennifer Tipton. Sound design, Otis Munderlow. Costume design. Okay, we're pulling from some famous costumes. Costume designs by Joseph G. Alisi. Yes, let's go with that. Oh my goodness. Alvin Colt, Raoul Pinier Dubois, Irene Sharaf, Tony Walton, Miles White, and Patricia Zabrat. Patricia Patty, Peppermint Patty Zabrat. Hello again. And the original Broadway cast of Jerome Robbins Broadway. 
was as follows. We have Jason Alexander, Richard Amaro, Dorothy Benham, Jeffrey Lee Broadhurst, Christoph Caballero, Mindy Cartwright, Irene Cho, Jamie Cohen, Charlotte de Amboza, Amboge? Oh, goodness. Camille de Gnan, Donna DeMio, Donna Marie Alio, Mark Esposito, Robert LaFosse, Suzanne Fletcher, Scott Fowler, Angelo H. Fabroni, Ramon Galindo, Nicholas Gar, Gregory Garrison, Carolyn Gore, Michael Scott Gregory, Andrew Gross, Alexia Hess, Nancy Hess, Louise Hickey, Eric A. Hosington, Barbara Hoon, Joanne M. Hunter, Scott Jovovich, Pamela Corey, and if I may, let's just do this again. Let's take a break. This group is so big, I run out of breath is what I do, and so I would like to take a moment to catch my breath. How are you doing? How are the kids? Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? An A+. That's so fucking fantastic. Another A-plus from the kids. Susan Kikuchi, we're back in the mix. Susan Kikuchi, Michael Kubala, Marianne Lamb, Jane Lanier, David Lowenstein, Michael Lynch, Greta Martin, Joey McNeely, Julio Munga, Troy Myers, Maria Neenan, Jack Noseworthy, Steve Ochoa, Kelly Patterson, Louise Perez, Faith Prince, James Rivera, Tom Robbins, George Russell, Greg Shanwell, Debbie Shapiro, Renee Stork, Mary Ellen Stewart, Linda Talcott, Leslie Trayer, Ellen Troy, Andy Tyler, Scott Wise, Elaine Wright, Barbara Yeager, and last but certainly not least, Alice Yearsley. That is a grand total of 62 performers. My God, Tony Nods. You're probably wondering, what was this, uh, what was this show nominated for and what did it win at the Tony Awards? I'll tell you right now, it won Best Musical, of course, but also Best Actor in a Musical, Jason Alexander, Best Featured Actor in a Musical, Scott Wise, Best Featured Actress in a Musical, Debbie Shapiro, Best Lighting Design, Jennifer Tipton, and Best Direction of a Musical, Jerome Robbins. Additional nominations. We have Best Actor in a Musical, Robert LaFosse. Best Actress in a Musical, Charlotte de Ambose. Best Featured Actress in a Musical, Jane Lanier. And Best Featured Actress in a Musical, Faith Prince. So, in total, we have ten nominations, six awards when all was said and done. And I just want to make this very clear. I know I say this all the time, and I just said it about two minutes ago, but I do my best to pronounce all of these first and last names. I hope that there are those of you out there who maybe note the mispronunciations. Maybe you know that I am making a mistake, and I ask you to forgive me. I am trying my best. I feel like it is important to cite all of these people, even if I may occasionally make those mistakes. I think it's better to do that than to not do that. We need to celebrate all of these names, right? Okay, all right. I'm done defending myself. Please, your... (laughs) <laughs> your pitchforks, your torches, please, the heat of your torches. Oh, it's driving me bananas. Okay, the plot. Uh, well, here's the thing. Today's subject does not have a plot, per se, because it is not a book musical. Jerome Robbins' Broadway is an anthology, a review, an $8 million victory lap for its director and choreographer. You know how the Tonys will occasionally set aside eight to ten minutes so it can tug on the nuts of some icon with a medley of their work. Robbins cut out the middleman and tugged on his own nuts for two solid hours. And guess what? People loved him for it. 
Robbins served as the director, choreographer, and show doctor for a lot of Broadway shows, and this piece covers a, a majority of that 50-year career. The production orders a la carte from Look Ma, I'm Dancing, High Button Shoes, The King and I, On the Town, Billion Dollar Baby, A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, West Side Story, Gypsy, Peter Pan, Miss Liberty, and Fiddler on the Roof. A 29-year-old Jason Alexander serves as our Master of Ceremonies and actor du jour, tackling roles like Pseudolus from Forum and Tevya from Fiddler, while providing plot and thematic context for practically all of these musicals. Regarding that narrative continuity credit we cited earlier, Alexander was hired to not only star in Jerome Robbins' Broadway, but also devise a way to link all of its disparate segments together. He was, in other words, both an actor and a writer. One of the concepts Alexander pitched and developed for weeks would have seen him playing Robbins on stage, with each number springing out of the character's mind during pivotal moments of inspiration. This concept was abandoned when Jerome decided he, quote, did not want the show to be about him, quote, unquote. It's not about me! And Jason, it's very funny in this interview I watched with him, he talks about how Jerome Robbins said that, it's not about me! I don't want the show to be about me! And Jason points out, it's called Jerome Robbins' Broadway. So what do we get instead? We get Jason talking about plot and theme, as I said, while doing a bunch of silly voices. That's what they settled on. Revealing it is not. Entertaining it is not. I can tell you what Alexander doesn't talk about. Robin's relationship with the House Un-American Activities Committee, otherwise known as the HUAC. Established in 1938 by the U.S. House of Representatives, the HUAC aimed to identify subversive citizens with ties to the Communist Party. Those who appeared before the HUAC were ordered to account for their misdeeds while providing the names of others who could be investigated. The HUAC was the latest in a long line of similarly-minded government entities that dated back to 1918. The targets kept changing from Bolsheviks and Nazis to everyday Germans and run-of-the-mill fascists, but the goal to expose and humiliate those who did not conform to carefully defined American ideals remained consistent. Note, though similar in spirit to Joseph McCarthy's Red Scare movement, similar in spirit and letter, the HUAC had no direct affiliation with the U.S. Senator. He was in the Senate doing his thing while the HUAC operated from the House. Two worlds, one family. A lot of the major Hollywood studios were eager to play along with the HUAC. Over 300 industry professionals who appeared before the committee, including Charlie Chaplin, Orson Welles, Paul Robeson, and Yip Harburg, saw their names placed on a blacklist. And if you were on the Hollywood blacklist, it meant the studios could and most likely would refuse to work with you. Lives were destroyed as a result of the HUAC and the Hollywood blacklist. Sure, you could work under a pen name or set up camp in another corner of showbiz, but that was easier said than done. Jerome Robbins was first called before the HUAC 
WAC in 1950, at which time he confessed to being a former member of the Communist Party. When the committee pressed him for additional names, he refused to give them. Three years later, under threat of being exposed as a homosexual, or so he would later claim, Robbins threw no less than nine people under the bus. Their names are mentioned in a number of articles, but most of them do very little to explain who these people actually were. I would like to do so now to the best of my ability. We begin with Lionel Berman, who is a fairly mysterious figure. There is an IMDb profile bearing that name, and the credits would seem to align with our timeline. This Berman worked on the sound for United Action Means Victory, a 1939 documentary short that chronicles the tool and die makers union strike against General Motors. He was also the editor for Native Land, a 1942 documentary on union busting that features Paul Robeson, the aforementioned Paul Robeson, as the narrator. Native Land was produced by Frontier Films, a studio which is cited within a bio for Berman I found at leohurowitz.com. Said bio confirms Berman worked for the arts section of the Communist Party, so it stands to reason this is the fellow we want. As to what happened to Berman after he was identified by Jerome Robbins, I cannot say. Now let's talk about Jerome Chodorov. Jerome Chodorov wrote nine plays, including A Talent for Murder, which won the 1982 Edgar Award for Best Play, and the books for three musicals. I Had a Ball, The Girl in Pink Tights with Joseph Fields, that was the co-writer on Pink Tights, and Wonderful Town, that's the third of the three. Robbins was an unofficial show doctor for Wonderful Town while it was still in development, which would explain how these two Jeromes came to know each other. Edward Chodorov was Jerome Chodorov's older brother. He wrote and directed several plays for Broadway, including Q for Passion, Those Endearing Young Charms, and Oh Men, Oh Women, as well as nearly 30 films. One such film, The Story of Louis Pasteur, was a 1937 nominee for the Academy Award for Best Picture. Edward was put on Hollywood's blacklist when he refused to cooperate with the HUAC. Jack and Madeline Lee Guilford were a married couple. Jack was an actor whose Broadway credits include The Diary of Anne Frank, Once Upon a Mattress, Forum, Cabaret, and The Sunshine Boys. Chris and I actually just saw Jack Guilford in Cocoon, The Return. He's also in uh, Ron Howard's Cocoon, the original film. <laughs> if you see him, I'm sure that you would recognize his face, even if you don't recognize his name. Now, Madeline Lee Guilford appeared in the early Our Gang shorts before going on to become an actor, activist, and producer. She taught Jerome Robbins the Lindy when he was choreographing the Fancy Free segment of Ballet Theater, a special dance event that ran on Broadway in 46. Jack and Madeline met at a political meeting in 47, got married in 49, and remained together until Jack's death in 1990. As a result of being on the Hollywood blacklist, Jack and Madeline were unable to find work throughout the 1950s, and often borrowed money from friends in order to get by. I have no idea how Jack managed to work with Robbins on Forum when it was on Broadway in the early 1960s. If it were me, I would have refused to be in the same room as the guy, but I understand limits vary from person to person, and hey, you gotta make a living, you gotta eat. Lloyd Gow and his wife, Karen Morley, invoked 
the Fifth Amendment when they appeared before the HUAC and were placed on the blacklist for that decision. Like Jack and Madeline, Lloyd and Karen were actors who were unemployed throughout the 1950s and eventually bounced back in the 1960s, when people began to defy the tenets of the blacklist and bring its victims back into the fold. Lloyd's film and television credits include Sunset Boulevard, The Green Hornet, and The Great White Hope. Karen appeared in a bunch of movies, including Matahari, Pride and Prejudice from 1940, The Mask of Fu Manchu, which stars Boris Karloff, not Christopher Lee, and M. If you're familiar with the film M, she's in it. From what I can tell, Robbins only mentioned Lloyd when appearing before the HUAC, which leads me to believe Karen was targeted simply for being Lloyd's wife. If Karen was, in fact, named by Robbins, that would raise the final total from 9 to 10. Robbins did give more names than most, and he did not warn any of these people beforehand, so keep all of that in mind as we keep moving forward. Edna Akko was a dance critic who wrote a favorable review of Robbins' choreography in 1938. This would have been for the piece Frankie and Johnny. The following is an excerpt from Lynn Garofola's Writing on the Left, The Remarkable Career of Edna Akko, which was published by Cambridge University Press on July 22nd, 2014. Quote, Edna Akko, or Edna Myers as we knew her, was a formidable woman. She was punchy and articulate, with strong opinions and political convictions that never wavered even when she was named as a communist by Jerome Robbins before the HUAC in 1953. She was also a first-rate dance critic who knew the difference between art and propaganda, could tell good choreography from bad, and wrote with verve. She was a crack editor with a nose for a story, who understood intuitively how to balance different voices and views. She was an intellectual, curious, well-read, stimulated by ideas, who counted even Belletta Maines like Lincoln Kirstein among her colleagues. Quote, a, a, a Bellarmine, for those who may be wondering, that's Bellarmine. Bellarmine, what is it? It's a ballet enthusiast, so now you know. Letty Stever worked for Jerome Robbins' agent, Dick Dorso, and was the one who recruited Robbins to the Communist Party in the first place. That's all I know about Letty Stever. Finally, we have Elliot Sullivan, another actor whose film credits include Gangs of New York from 1938, Smashing the Money Ring, and The Great Gatsby from 1974. Elliot was in the room. He was in the room, it should be emphasized, when Jerome gave his name to the HUAC. And as a reminder, Jerome did not, he did not warn any of these people in advance. He was indicted, I should say, uh, Elliot Sullivan was indicted for contempt of Congress in 1956, when the HUAC accused him of being an unfriendly witness. Though he was acquitted of that charge in 1961, Elliot left Hollywood for London in 62 and promptly joined the British Actors' Equity Union. Wouldn't you? Shortly after providing these names to the HUAC, Jerome Robbins found himself on a sofa next to his friend, Arthur Lawrence. Robbins sighed, quote, It'll be years before I know whether I did the right thing. Quote, Lawrence did not hesitate. Quote, I can tell you right now, you were a shit. 
Quote, Lawrence would go on to write the book for West Side Story, which was conceived and choreographed by Mr. Jerome Robbins. So, yeah, I'm almost certain we talked about these events during our Fiddler episode, as Zero Mostel was also on the Hollywood blacklist and a die-hard not-fan of Jerome Robbins. The trouble was that Jerome, Mr. Robbins, was goddamn everywhere and working on the biggest projects. You couldn't get away from him. Jack Guilford, Arthur Lawrence, Zero Mostel, all of these people fell in line to kiss the ring when push came to shove. Such is the life of those who work in the industry. What a life, am I <laughs> What a life, am I right? Why, it hardly seems like a life at all. More like a rare and beautiful dream. Fuck Jerome Robbins. They were going to tell everyone I was gay. Everyone already knew you were gay, you stupid gay as hell fuck prick. Maybe if you'd put the cock down long enough to pick up a spine, everyone would have been better off. For the purposes of this week's episode, I listened to the 1989 original Broadway cast album of Jerome Robbins' Broadway, as well as I watched, I should say, the 1989 Tony Awards performance of Dance at the Gym from West Side Story. That is the segment they chose to pluck from Jerome Robbins' Broadway. Angela Lansbury introduces, you know, the teapot, Angela Lansbury introduces Jerome Robbins' Broadway by describing it as, quote, a completely new and exciting work. Quote, exciting? Sure. For a lot of theatergoers, this would have likely been their first opportunity to see these shows on Broadway. Of course, Robbins had directed a revival of West Side Story at the Minskoff Theater no less than 10 years prior. It ran for a not-exactly-scant 333 performances, but who's counting? The part I object to is completely new. How is this a completely new work? We're hitting buttons on a jukebox. We are playing the hits. I realize this was a dire season for musicals, a point I would like to explore further toward the end of this episode. And I have no real problem with capitalizing on nostalgia. That's what revivals are for, for crying out loud. But you shouldn't advertise leftovers as if they just came out of the oven. You didn't cook that from scratch. Wow, I've never seen the dance at the gym sequence done quite like this. Yes, you have. West Side Story was on Broadway less than a decade ago. I'll say it again. The movie was on tape. Dance at the Gym is a stupendous showcase for Robin's choreography, his skills. It's a dense and dizzying piece of artistic articulation that rewards multiple viewings, but it's always the same. Wow, so new, not new. Exciting, yes, new, no. I would be more forgiving if there was one example of truly original choreography within this production, but it simply does not exist. We could have hired someone to write a new song for the grand finale, something that proved Robin still had ideas in his head that needed to be realized on stage, but we just could not be bothered. All of that workshop and development work on the part of Jason Alexander, and we couldn't even, <laughs> no one came up with that idea, or maybe they did and they threw it away, I don't know. Too busy playing Dr. Frankenstein with your own catalog, eh, Jerome? Hey, Pacha? 
Sorry, I know I'm running in. I'm running this into the ground, but please consider the following. I have more dates for you. So Jerome Robbins Broadway premiered in February of 1989. We know this. A Broadway revival of Gypsy featuring a recreation of Robbins' original choreography premiered in November of that same year. Peter Pan had most recently been revived on Broadway in 1979. West Side Story was, as previously mentioned, revived in 1980. That revival was directed and choreographed by Robbins. Fiddler on the Roof, as directed and choreographed by Robbins, was revived in 1981. The King and I was revived with Robbins' original choreography in 85. Out of the 11 shows represented in Jerome Robbins' Broadway, four had been revived within the last 10 years, and another would be revived in only nine months. There was no shortage of Jerome Robbins on Broadway between 1979 and 1989. This is not a new show. This is, if anything, the Broadway equivalent of the MCU coming together for the Avengers, or maybe an $8 million presentation at the Kennedy Center Honors, or maybe That's Entertainment, if That's Entertainment recreated old movie scenes with new performers. Whatever, I've made my point. heard the tail end of the overture at the top of this episode. Remember how I oh, how I absolutely roasted Jason Alexander for his pronunciation of Broadway. I love Jason Alexander to be clear, but I you know, I thought it would be a good idea to hear the opening portion of that overture track as well because this so-called overture is nothing more than a snow job. You're going to kick the evening off with an instrumental version of Everything's Coming Up Roses. Fine. 
I love it. But now you've got me thinking. I'm thinking I'm about to hear a big-ass blockbuster overture, a mega mix that combines all of the major instrumental themes from all of these shows, and that is not what I get. That ain't what you give me. Instead, I get 20 seconds of roses, followed by a full-blown production number that's all about dance. Why are we so itchy to trot out the actors? Demonstrate a capacity for patience. Close your eyes and sit with me, why don't you? Let us enjoy the music on its own terms, if only for a few minutes. Gotta dance. It's not that gotta dance. It's how does it go? I'm a man who's gotta dance. Papa, Papa, won't you dance with me? Shoo, shoo, go away. New York, 1944. It's World War II, and we're in it. The 6 a.m. whistle's just about to blow here at the Brooklyn Navy Yard. The show is on the town. Hey, bud, what time is it? Six o'clock, Leia. <laughs> It's World War II and we're in it. The 6 a.m. whistle's just about to blow here at the Brooklyn Navy Yard. The show is on the town. Did anyone else feel their eyes expand to the size of dinner plates when they heard that delivery? They rehearsed this thing for six months. And this is what they settled on. I knew Jason Alexander played a lot of characters in the show, Pseudolus, Tevia, etc., etc., and so forth, but I had no idea he also played tour guide characters. Oh, hey, oh, welcome to New York's LGBTQIA plus East Village Mafia Ghost Tour, sponsored by Kodak. If you need to use the John, oh, now's the time, because this bus ain't stopping for nobody, capiche? I admire Alexander's brio. His brio I admire, but all of these dinner theater personas had me searching for the door in the floor. Oops, time to go. Gotta find the floor door. You know, I love On the Town. I, I made a note here in my in my notes to expound on On the Town. What do I think about On the Town? It's a supremely horny musical. That's one thing I wrote down. I love how there are so many characters in that show that want to fuck. It's, it really is a show about fucking. And my college did it when I was still at Northern Kentucky University. It was a great production overall. I remember the seating design leaving something to be desired. I, 
<laughs> you know, the tricky thing with On the Town is you always have to have some version of a functional taxi cab set piece prop thing, and it always winds up being a Flintstones car. It makes me think of how there are Flintstones cars in Donna Summer. Summer, the Donna Summer musical, they have Flintstone cars, just like every major revival of On the Town does. And you gotta move that taxi all around the stage with your feet. It's all about you while singing. What a pain in the ass. And they tried to achieve this effect, this college production. They tried to achieve an effect where <laughs> there are these big set-piece buildings as well. Skyscrapers, New York skyscrapers. And I, I think what we wanted was we moved them around so, sort of to achieve this idea of, you know, we're logging miles during this journey of ours in the taxi cab. But the, <laughs> the taxi was moving in any and every direction on the compass. And the only thing the buildings could do was move downstage and upstage in a straight line. So <laughs> the effect was a little discombobulating and funny. It didn't help that the skyscrapers also looked like stalagmites from Superman's Fortress of Solitude. But you know what? I love On the Town. I, I wish we could talk about it in full, but On the Town is such an old show that it was, it was doing its thing before the Tonys were even around. So what can you do? What can you do? That's all I have to say for now, at least. Hey, here's, here's what I want to do now. Let's hear a little bit of, you got me, you got me, baby. Let's hear that. da 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 As the ocean, I've plenty to spare, and since it's so ample, I'll throw you a sample. I will cheer you up on the spot, so forget the things you have not. Can't you see, kid, what a very red treasure you got? You got me, baby, you got me. You got my affection, baby, and my sympathy. You got my. Systematically. Systematically. You 
sing a favorite song from Leonard Bernstein, Betty Comden, and Adolph Green's On the Town score is like choosing one puppy out of a litter. You want me to choose one of the puppies? Come on. Well, well, You Got Me is definitely keeping pace with my other nominees. Those being Carried Away, Lonely Town, Lucky to Be Me, and Some Other Time. Wait, what am I talking about? Some Other Time is obviously my favorite song from On the Town. We quote it at the end of every episode. I will circle back to my blue ribbon puppy dog in due time since that song serves as the finale for today's subject. In the meantime, here is what I like about You Got Me. For one thing, it's about cheering up a pal. That's the whole game. Gaby, look at all of the love you've got here. This is a winning team together. We can do anything. It's a marvelous sentiment. Here's another scrumptious tidbit I like to chew on. The way the word whole is a power note that stretches out like taffy. You got me, Gaby, you got me. Na, 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 na. You got a guy who always functions systematically, manically. You got my whole family in Peoria for you to see. And it's free, Gaby, it's all free. Everybody gets to stretch out that hole. Everybody gets a turn at that hole. It's the gift that keeps on giving that hole. That It's a W-H-O-L-E, you understand? Not H-O-L-E. On the town may be a horny show, but it ain't that. That horny, not on stage at least. Hildy the cab driver. Now there's a woman who would be into ass play. Hey, hey, Chip, come here, come here, come here, come here. Come up to my place. I'll pop a couple of succulents into your asshole. Eh. New York, 1929. Prohibition, bootleggers, flappers, bedtop gin. Life is roaring, the music is hot. And the whole street is moving to the beat of the Charleston. It seems like everyone everywhere is looking for a good time and a drink. Or the best place to find one is on the other side of a door. The password is Billion Dollar Baby. Bootleggers, flappers, bathtub gin. Life is roaring, the music is hot, and the whole street is moving to the beat of the Charleston. Seems like everyone everywhere is looking for a good time and a drink. Well, the best place to find one is on the other side of a door. The password is Billion Dollar Baby! Anyone else hear a bit of Creole when Alexander shouts everyone, everywhere? Everyone, everywhere! Oh, these beignets are making me suck with bleu, mon frere. He won a Tony for this. Tony award-winning performance. Oh, my God. 
What the hell is Billion Dollar Baby about, anyway? I've never known. Let's find out together. All right, let me see here from Wikipedia. Quote, the musical is set on Staten Island and in Atlantic City during the late 1920s. It follows the adventures of an ambitious young woman, Maribel Jones, in her quest for wealth during the Prohibition era. Quote, fair enough. I thought it was about a baby who was worth a billion dollars. Oh, I'm afraid the baby's ransom has just gone up, Mr. Powers, to one billion dollars. Also from Wikipedia, quote, the show gained notoriety for an event that happened during rehearsals. Robbins, walking backwards as he ranted at the dancers, failed to realize how close he was to the orchestra pit and fell into it. <laughs> Karma's a nasty beast, Jerome. Legoers, I bid you welcome. The theater is a temple, and we are here to worship the gods of comedy and tragedy. Tonight, I am pleased to announce... A comedy. a comedy! We shall employ every device we know in our desire to divert you. Something familiar, something peculiar, something for everyone, a comedy tonight. Something appealing, something appalling, something for everyone, a comedy tonight. Nothing with kings, nothing with crowns. Bring on the lovers, liars, and clowns. Old situations, new complications. Nothing portentous or polite. Tragedy tomorrow, comedy tonight. Hey, look at that. We finally found a real honest-to-God part for Jason Alexander, and it fits him like a well-tailored suit. Hearing him fill out a proper character role like Pseudolus is reassuring because I, I gotta say, those TV sketch comedy voices were killing me. And you might say to yourself, look at this one over here, Jonathan Pertisek, criticizing actors for their TV sketch comedy voices. The fucking very gall of him. Listen, when I receive a Tony Award, for my shtick, that's when I will choose to zip my lip. All right? Until then, the lip stays open, unzipped for business. Okay? All right.
West Side Story takes up most of the Act 1 acreage in Jerome Robbins' Broadway, and while I hesitate to talk too much about those numbers, West Side Story being an inevitable subject of the main feed after all, it would be a mistake to let Dorothy Benham's rendition of Somewhere go by without comment. Here's my comment. Dorothy Benham, your power! Oh my god, I admire your power and control so very much, Dorothy. This is an amazing performance. If anyone is a friend of Dorothy, it is yours truly, my dear. We now move from the King of Siam to the Queen of Burlesque, Miss Gypsy Rose Lee, back when she got her first taste of burlesque. Take it from me, honey. To be a stripper, all you need is no talent. You'll pardon me, but to have no talent is not enough. What you need is an idea that makes your strip special. You can pull all the stops out till they call the cops out. Grind your behind till you're banned. But you gotta get a gimmick if you wanna get a hand. You can sacrifice your sack row, working in the back row. Bump in a dump till you're dead. Kid, you gotta get a gimmick if you wanna get a head. You can, you can, you can. That's how Blessed was born. Me, I, and I, and I. But I do it with a to the TV sketch comedy stuff. Splendid! Every single one of these guys, these guys is just the same guy. Some of them are here, and some of them are here, but they are all brothers. I suppose I should be thankful. No one made Jason introduce the king and I. Can you imagine? Uh, uh, Jason, no, we swear. Get out there. It'll be so funny. Uh, get out there. Get out there. Question, what is going on with the orchestrations during You Can uh, you can ah, uh, you can ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. Why do they evoke Bernard Herrmann's score for Psycho? You can re, you can re, you can re, re, re. Fun fact, Bernard Herrmann's resume also includes the score for Anna and the King of Siam, starring Rex Harrison. Hello again, Rex. Ho, ho, ho. I am so 
bored. You guys, this show is doing next to nothing for me. I thought I thought I was going to learn a thing or two about Robin's life or his process, but the show does not want you to learn about him. It's not about me. It only wants you to sit in awe of him, as if the man hadn't received enough praise in his lifetime. You ain't going to learn shit about me. Got it? You are going to worship me and listen to Jason do funny voices. That's what you're going to do. Hooah! Once upon a time, in a charming house in London lived Mr. and Mrs. Darling and their children. This is the children's nursery, and this is my friend Peter Pan, who has come here tonight to teach the children... To fly! Fly! John, Michael, wake up! There's a boy here who's going to teach us to fly! Hello. Hello. Can you really fly? I'll teach you. Oh, how lovely to fly! I'll teach you how to jump on the wind's back, and then away we'll go! Oh. Wendy, when you're sleeping in your silly bed, you might be flying about with me, saying funny things to the stars. How do you do it? Just think lovely, wonderful thoughts, and up you go! Are you kidding me? Jason, Alexander, are you kidding me? Why are you not doing an English accent right now? You said it yourself. Peter Pan is set in London. London, England! Now is when you choose to use your natural speaking voice. I could die. I could just die, I swear. And let me see if I've got this right. In the canon of Jerome Robbins Broadway, Jason Alexander, the man, and Peter Pan, the character, are friends? Sure, Jason and I are the best of friends. I helped him move into his first New York apartment, and he helped me get sober. Wee! Let's talk about Linda Talcott and Steve Ochoa, who play Michael and John in this scene. I'm sure they are lovely people, and at the end of the day, I chalk it up to direction, but 
Holy moly, are these performances annoying. Pirates! Indians! Long, sharp nails on a bone-dry chalkboard. Could you bring it down to a six, please? I'm on my knees over here. We won't be hearing anything from the high-button shoes sequence, but I would like to note how in his introduction, Alexander plays an off-the-rack New Jersey galoot which should not be confused for his off-the-rack New York jabroni, very different. Did you know the plot of High Button Shoes involves the Keystone Cops and a gorilla? Is High Button Shoes the only Broadway musical to feature a gorilla? You might say, well, there's Tarzan, of course, and to that I would say Tarzan. Tarzan what? Never heard of her. Welcome to Anatevka and Fiddler on the Roof. I am Tevye the Milkman. This is my wife, Golda. We have been married for 25 years. We have five daughters. Five. <laughs> daughters. Tonight, I'm going to tell you the story of our eldest, Saito, a good and smart girl with a witty tongue. The wit she gets from me. All right, enough already. The tongue she gets from her mother. This is Matul Kamzoil, a poor tailor and also a friend of Cyprus. Reptivia? Not now, Matul. That is Laser Wolf, the butcher. He is the wealthiest man in our village. That's true. Also, a widower ever since his first wife died. Ephraim Sarah. She was a dark and bitter woman. May she rest in peace. Now he is looking for a new wife. That's also true. Here in Anatevka, you might say that every one of us is a fiddler on the roof, trying to scratch out a pleasant, simple tune without breaking our necks. How do we keep our balance? Tradition. Because of our tradition, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Day and night must scramble for a living, feed a wife and children, say his daily prayers, and who has the right as master of the house to have the final word at home? The Papa! And I already know the answer to this question because Jason Alexander grew up with the Fiddler on the Roof score. In the interview I watched, he makes it clear that his mother always wanted him to play Tevya. I think from the age of five, she had that dream for him. So I know the answer to this is no, but I'll ask it anyway. Is is this interpretation of Tevya supposed to be a fucking joke? Because parody or not, the performance is, it's awful. I'm sorry, Jason, but it's true. Pseudolus in forum, that suits you just fine. Tevya in Fiddler, not so much. We've been married for 25 years. You are 29, my dude. How could anyone think this was in your wheelhouse? And why are we getting this much context for the plot of Fiddler on the Roof? 
None of the other shows got this much set up. New York, 1944, it's World War II, and we're in it. That was basically all we got for On the Town. With Fiddler, we get an elevated book report. And come to think of it, what's wrong with Tevye's original monologue? That monologue does a better job of setting the tone and stakes of Fiddler than any of this claptrap. Nobody asked for bite-sized character interjections and one-liners. You're only putting more road between us and the destination. Tradition! Tradition! That's the destination. Get me there faster, please. Where has the time all gone to? Haven't done half the things we want to. Oh, well, we'll catch up some other time. This day was just a token. Too many words are still unspoken Oh well, we'll catch up some other time Just when the fun is starting Comes the time for parting But let's be glad for what we've had God for some other time. That really is just such a wistful, winsome, charming song. I love that song so much. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna put on my conical director's cap for the purposes of Jerome Robbins' Broadway, but if you ask me, I believe everyone should return to the stage for that reprise of New York, New York. I want the whole gang out here, cartoon all-stars to the rescue style. I want to see Ozzy, Chip, and Gaby rubbing elbows with the King of Siam, Tevya and Golda, Tony and Maria, Mama Rose, and all of them their ancient Greeks. But I suppose Robbins would have considered this idea the very height of déclassé. Déclassé. Oh. No, you're right, Jerome. Let's not have fun. No, heaven forbid we see Peter Pan flying around with Frumacera, Anna and the King playing double dutch with the gorilla from High Button Shoes. We can't have nice things like that, can we, Jerome? You make me sick. All right, that's all I have to say regarding the score for Jerome Robbins' Broadway. And it is now time to hear from our fine, fine sponsor, 5678 Coffee. Take it away, 5678. Screw 
Scrooge, it's me. Ah, yes. Ah, your old partner, Jacob Marley, as interpreted by Alec Guinness in the 1970s movie musical Scrooge. Ah, no, your eyes do not deceive you, Scrooge. No, it's not a blot of fucking mustard. It's not a bit of potato. I'm a fucking ghost. And I'm here to warn you that you are to be visited by three spirits. The first at the stroke of midnight. The second at the stroke of one o'clock. And the third at the stroke of 2 a.m. I know it's confusing. It should have been like the first at one, the second at two, the third at three. That would have been easier for me to remember and for you to remember. Ah, but ah, it is what it is, I suppose. You, you look tired, Scrooge. You look, you look fucking awful. You need some energy. You're going to be up all fucking night. Here, my boy, have a five, six, seven, eight to go pouch on me. That's right, just tear it open and swick it back for a fucking injection of that delicious coffee that we all love, Scrooge. Even you, the stingiest man in town, must admit that the price is right. <laughs> all right, I have to go, you stupid fuck. Don't fuck this up, or you'll be burning in hell with me and all of the big beefy fellows with the executioner masks. I'll make sure of it. <laughs> Okay, I'll see you soon, Scrooge. I'm walking out the door. My body is practically fully outside of the room. The only thing that's still in the room that you are presently in is my hand, which is waving very slowly in a sort of effeminate way. I'm very queer. Yes, canonically, Jacob Marley, super gay. All right, bye-bye, bye-bye, ba-boo-boo-boo. Bye-bye, ba-boo-boo-boo. Yes, yes. Final thoughts regarding Jerome Robbins' Broadway. Here are my final thoughts. That's, that's my final thought for you. In 1989, the winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical was Jerome Robbins' Broadway, of course, and the additional nominees that season were Black and Blue and Star Mites. That means we only have one show from this set of nominees to talk about. Before we hear from our good friend Shrek again, oh, that puts me in a much better mood. <laughs> Did any of these nominees deserve to win out over Jerome Robbins' Broadway? No, I don't think so. As I mentioned, this was a rough season, black and blue, Star Mites, not exactly the most beloved of musicals. And then we have the snubs of 1989, the shows that were not nominated for Best Musical. They were snubbed. Here's a, here are all of those shows. We have Chu Chem, which was about 10th century Jews migrating to China. That ran for 45 performances. We have Welcome to the Club. That features a score by Cy Coleman and A.E. Hotchner. It is, quote, set in a New York City jail for alimony violators, quote, my God, that ran for 12 performances. And then we have Legs Diamond, which stars Peter Allen as a playboy gangster, and it features a book co-written by the one and only Harvey Firestein. That ran for 64 performances. All of these shows dropping like flies. You know what? 
I'm going to be a contrarian asshole and give the award to Legs Diamond. I sort of like Legs Diamond, and I don't think Jerome Robbins needed another medallion. Justice for Peter Allen and Harvey Firestein, that's what I say. It is now time to rank Jerome Robbins Broadway against all of the other shows we've talked about here on the podcast. As always, if you want to take a look at this ranking of ours, you can go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod. There is a pinned post at the top of that page. Click through, you'll be taken to our link tree, and from there you can access our Google spreadsheet. The second tab of that sheet, that's where you're going to find this ranking, and I'll tell you where you'll find Jerome Robbins Broadway at number 86 between Grind, which is at 85, and Kinky Boots, which is at 87. All right? Okay. Uh, Show-related ephemera. Well, here's what I've got for you. I have Jason Alexander's 1985 ad for McDonald's McDLT. And if we've played it before on the show, that does not matter to me because we are playing it again, Sam. I don't think we've actually done this, but just to be sure, I wanted to throw out that disclaimer. So, uh, Benny, can we play the commercial for the McDLT? So you're getting tired of lettuce and tomato hamburgers in this town that don't quite make it? Yeah! You say that just once you'd like your hamburger hot and your lettuce and tomato cool and crisp all at the same time? Yeah! Well, I say you got it. I'm talking McDonald's new lettuce and tomato hamburger, the McDLT. I'm talking quarter pound of beef on the hot, hot side. And the hot stays hot. The new McDLT. Hot, hot. Crisp lettuce and tomato on the cool, cool side. And the cool stays cool. The new McDLT. Cool, crisp. The beef stays hot. The cool stays crisp. Put it together, you can't resist. The hottest taste, the coolest dish. Keep the hot, hot. Keep the cool, cool. McDLT. McDLT. Hot, beefy McD. Cool, crisp LT. McD. LT. It's a good time. Hot, beefy McD. For the great taste. Cool, crisp LT. Of McDonald's. Could be the best tasting lettuce and tomato hamburger ever. New McD. LT. Could be the best tasting lettuce and tomato hamburger ever. To determine which show we discuss next, we'll need to take a ride on the musical carousel, otherwise known as the random number generator I named after that classic Rogers and Hammerstein show, Jazz Dunn Made Her Dude It. That's Jazz Dunn Made Her Dude It. D-O-O-D. Dude It. Okay? Everyone ready? Then away we go. You're going to think that this is a crazy coincidence that this is our next subject, but I swear to you, these shows are randomly selected. We're always jumping around on the timeline, right? Well, this is a 1958 nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. It ran on Broadway for 732 performances, and the name of the show is West Side Story. Jerome Robbins, get away from me! (laughs) (laughs) I am excited to revisit West Side Story, and that episode will drop January 31st, so look for it on the main feed. Go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod to find out how you can support the show financially. As a reminder, 100% of every monthly payout is donated to the Planned Parenthood Action Fund. You can donate one, three, five, or ten dollars a month. Let's say you donate one dollar a month. What do you get 
Well, what do you get with that tier? Well, you get Monday early access to all of these main feed episodes. Everyone else will have to wait until Wednesday. You're going to get them first thing Monday morning. You get a verbal shout out each and every time we get together. Oh, thank you so much for donating at least $1 a month. Caroline, Helena, Greg, Andy, Elizabeth, Aaron, Jason, Jack, Vitor, Sydney, Katie, Elena, Anton Ross, HJG, Jared, Eli, David, Dave, Christopher, Neil, Brian, Robin, Liz, Carrie, Maddie, Jonathan, Marcus, Rob, Shauna, Shianti, Roberto, Jordan, Ashley, Chris, JC, Jenna, Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol. You also get 20 bonus episodes regarding the following subjects. The 73rd Annual Tony Awards, a trailer review for Cats, The Little Mermaid Live, a full review of the film Cats, Emma at Chicago Shakespeare Theater, Take Me to the World, a Sondheim 90th birthday celebration, Hamilton via Disney+, Plus. Documentary Now, Original Cast Album, Co-op, John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch, Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey, Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square, Arlo the Alligator Boy, a trailer review for Steven Spielberg's West Side Story, Vivo, the Tony Awards present Broadway's Back, Diana, Annie Live, The Notebook at Chicago Shakespeare Theater, Beauty and the Beast, a 30th celebration, and The King and I, 1999. That's right, our latest bonus episode is out. Now for you, it's a full-length commentary for the 1999 animated adaptation of The King and I. You also get with this $1 a month tier, season one, that's 12 episodes of Radio Boy, a show for which I check in with myself via the non-musical theater songs that make me feel more like myself, and all 16 episodes in M3, The Movie Musical Man, a series dedicated to movie musicals. It's true. $3 a month will get you everything I've already described, plus a musical shout-out in the style of a character, actor, or composer of your choosing, all 10 episodes in Wildcats Everywhere, the high school musical podcast, a special one-off all about Julie and the Phantom and all 14 episodes in TV VIP, a series dedicated to musical television shows. $5 a month will get you everything I've already described, plus you get to stop the musical carousel and determine what show I discuss on the podcast. You get seasons one and two. That's 24 episodes of All I Ask of You, an advice show hosted by the Phantom of the Opera, all 14 episodes in our Broadway in Chicago review series, and volumes one through six of Shout About It. These are collections completely Compendiums of five, six, seven, eight coffee ads and musical shoutouts from the first 150 episodes of the show. Finally, the $10 a month tier will get you everything I've already described, plus exclusive announcements regarding future subjects of the main feed. Season one, that's 12 episodes of The Snub Club, a show dedicated to shows that were not nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical. They were snubbed. And all 12 episodes in our Turn It Off series, which is dedicated to off-Broadway musicals. My God. When I stop to think about the amount of coverage we have produced over on the Patreon feed, it's ridiculous. You should sign up today. Okay, if you're listening to the show via Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, do me a favor, write a five-star review for the show, if you please. You can stream the show via Spotify, Audible, or Podbean. That's at musicalmanpod.podbean.com. And you can email me at musicalmanpod at gmail.com. Thanks, as always, to... Oh, Patty, my God! <laughs> we... we we hope that everything is fine with, with the possums. And thank you to Benny. Oh, happy belated birthday to Benny. Happy birthday.
birthday to you. Thank you to Alex Green for our beautiful logo, and thank you to Zach Little for our fabulous intro and outro music. Oh, you know what that sound means? Yes, just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh well, we'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man Some Other Time. So long, farewell, off Venus and good night. <laughs>